the Commission on Aging and Adult Services September meeting, we have a standing room audience, and I feel like Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones. <laughs> Will the secretary please call the roll? President Gustavo Serena. Here. Vice President Katie Liu. Here. Commissioner Steve Arcelona. Here. Commissioner Martha Knudsen. Here. Commissioner Michael Pappas. Commissioner Janet Spears. Here. Commissioner Teddy Brijayas. Here. And please note that Executive Director Shereen McSpadden is present. At this time, we ask that you silence all cell phones and sound producing devices. Before asking for a motion to approve the agenda, there are going to be several changes in the agenda. We did not post the agenda with its 72 hours requirement. <clears throat> and as a result, we will have presentations on the action items, but there will be no voting. All the other presentations as scheduled will take place, those that were not action items. The voting on the action items on the current agenda will be voted on next month. We will not have a closed session and we will not, having a pre we will not be having a presentation for item C. So we're gonna have a busy October meeting, but September should be a little bit different from what we had anticipated. So with those changes, may I have a motion to approve the agenda? No, um, there's no motion to approve the agenda. Oh, that's right. I can't, we can't do that. We'll just go ahead without it. <laughs> we can't approve the minutes, so we're just moving right along at record speed. Um, Executive Director's Report, Shireen. Good morning, Commissioners, and good morning, everyone. Um, so I wanted to start with by talking about some of the things that are happening at the national level. Um, I, along with a number of DOS and human services staff, were able to attend the National Association of Area Agencies on Aging conference in the, at the very end of July and the beginning of August. And um, it was a really good conference. We, I think I mentioned before we went that um, we were recipients of an N4A award again. But just to remind you, it was the community choirs program that won the award, and that was really exciting for us and for our um, community partners, the Community Music Center that um, oversees that program, along with our, um, a lot of the senior centers. So um, we learned a lot of good things. And one of the things that is happening, um, we've talked a little bit about, is that the Older Americans Act is going through the reauthorization process. It technically sunsets at the end of September, and so there was really a lot of push for and at N4A to get legislators to come together and reauthorize the act. Unfortunately, um, the Congress has gotten held up on the funding formula for the Older Americans Act, and it's really like how it gets portioned out across states. And so, it hasn't gotten passed yet, and it'll probably drag on through for the fall and maybe into winter before it is passed. There is bipartisan support for it, and so I'm sure it will get passed at some point, um, but probably not before it sunsets. That said, the appropriations process is separate, and so you know the money will continue to flow for these programs. It's just that there is a chance to get some new dollars into it, and, and there's a lot of advocacy happening. So we'll see, I'll, I'll keep you posted on what happens with that. Um, at the state level, I'm sure most of you read this, um, the governor called for a task force on the master plan on aging and asked the Secretary of Health and Human Services to put together a task force. That task force has been announced, the members have been announced, and they're gonna start their work um, immediately, actually, because the master plan on aging process needs to be done 
by 2020. Um, and so it's, there's a lot of meetings that have to happen with this group. There are going to be a lot of, also a lot of committees, and there will be various ways that um, counties can be involved. So I know that you will hear from the Long-Term Care Coordinating Council today about an event on September 20th, but that is one way that we as a city can be involved in, in kind of getting the word out up to the state about what we'd like to see in a master plan on aging. So um, please think about attending that event. It hopefully will have lots of people there, and um, Commissioner Spears is actually going to give the key, you're going to give the keynote, right? Yeah. The, the the what? The introduction. <laughs> the introduction. Okay. <laughs> you're not giving a keynote. Okay. I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, anyway, it'll be exciting, and we have a number of great panelists, and I think the coordinating council is going to going to announce that today. Um, or the Dignity Fund Coalition. So um, at the local level, I wanted to talk a little bit about changes in operational structure that we have going on in, in the department. Um, on our community services side, we are combining some functions. And so one of them is our DOS Benefits and Resource Hub, which you probably know is at 2GOF. And we had an eligibility unit that is there, but that was under in-home support of services. It is now going to come over and be under intake, um, under the resource hub, along with the intake unit, which may not make sense to you right now. But basically, what it means is we're putting all of the functions for eligibility and intake under one roof, and we're doing that because we just hired a new program director for TuGoff. Her name is Kate Shadowen. Um, she most recently comes from Felton, but she was also at Homebridge before that, and. Um, she has a lot of background in working with older adults, serving people with disabilities, transitional age youth, and mental health. And so we're really excited that she's here and that she's going to um, take over that function. Is, is Kate here? No. Well, we will get to meet her at some point. Um, and then on what we used to call Office on the Aging and Long-Term Care Operations is now going to be under a new um, name called the Office of Community Partnerships. And so we've wanted for a long time to get away from Office on the Aging um, because obviously we serve people with disabilities as well as older adults and we really have been struggling with, with doing this. Um, Cindy Kaufman, our Deputy Director, had some really brilliant ideas about how to restructure. And so we have now the Office of Community Partnerships run by Michael Zog. And then Melissa McGee is one of the managers who's going to be over, still, continue, still continuing to work with Dignity Fund, but that will ultimately be under the Office of Community Partnerships. And then we will be hiring another um, program manager to, to oversee an, another piece of that work. And so um, that'll be very exciting for us. And I think it'll make a lot more sense structurally for our department. Um, <clears throat> The department name change is on the ballot, as you all know, and so that will, you know, if that passes, then that will actually align really well with our new name uh, at the Office of Community Partnerships. And then um, I want to just announce that the Adult Protective Services Program won a very prestigious award at NAPSA, which is the National Association of Adult Protective Services, or the Adult Protective Services Association. And they won the Gene Otto Distinguished Service Award. So they won it because 
San Francisco has long been an innovative force in the field, and the implementation of, of new standardized tools to assess outcomes for all types of abuse cases is really breaking ground. And I really want to give credit to Jill Nielsen and to Achilles Cerrone. Um, Jill really brought this perspective to our adult protective services program and really changed the way that we do business. And I, and you know, of course, we should use data-driven approaches when we can. And she's really pushed to do that here, and also really pushed for. Um, thinking about a national database or sta and statewide database for adult protective services programs, and I want to thank her. But Achilles has really carried that as well, and he shows great leadership. And so it was just really a fantastic thing to hear that the adult protective services program in San Francisco had won this award. And I think Jill told me that it's really rare that it goes to a whole program. It often goes to a person. So it's really kudos to the adult protective services team and the work that they do and, and, and the excellence that they bring to this department. So thank you, adult protective services. And I'm going to go ahead and um, it, answer any questions if you have any for me. But that is the end of my... Thank you, Shireen. Um, on the Governor's Commission for um, Aging in California, what are the objectives, and will they also will it also identify funding sources? Um, well, I think the objectives are really to think about what the elements are, um, what people need to to age in California. It's also thinking about data, you know, data systems and how we collect information. Um, and making that a little bit more streamlined because right now it's not in, in any way, shape, or form. It's also thinking about what, um, how to bring together programs that should go together. So rather than just the, the siloed system that we currently have where everything's under a slightly different department or a, a different department, um, what, would be the, what would be the framework for a really good long-term care system? And how would you move the pieces around to make it happen in a coordinated way? And then I think also, um, yeah, it's what's fund what funding is going to ne be needed and how do you project that into the future given that we have a growing population of older adults in California. And I think, you know, it's very exciting to people in aging services because across the nation because um, California as far as we know, is the first state to really say, hey, let's have a plan. There are states doing some things around aging, um, but not in the same way that you know the governor has said that he wants to do. And I think even though they're calling it a master plan on aging, that, that I mean, one of the first things that they really need to think about is that name, because the intent is to also really think about the needs of people with disabilities. And, and so um, it's, kind of, it's kind of too bad that it took on that name. And, Hopefully, that'll get changed quickly. But there's some action that could be taken right away. For example, today's Chronicle has a story about two board and care facilities in San Francisco that are closing. And one specifically um, takes care of adults, uh, seniors and adults with disabilities. And the reasons cited for the closure are low reimbursement rates from the state, as well as an inability to attract and retain staff. And so those could be addressed very quickly, and I don't know how widespread that is, but it's a part of a long-term trend in San Francisco at any rate. Right, and we're hoping for some help from the state um, in the form of the assisted expansion of the assisted living waiver, but also there are some other legislative ideas that are coming up right now that hopefully will make their way through. But yes, it's 
it's becoming a real issue. And we're, we're seeing this you know, now weekly, right? We're seeing a lot of closures, and it's really concerning. Thank you. Any other questions? Commissioner Liu. Shereen, you uh, said that there's some changes in the operation. Would you be sending us the new organization chart? Yes, we will definitely do that. Thank you for asking. Thank you. And also, um, once you get everything straight now with the new framework for IHSS and the transfer of the responsibilities, maybe we could have a presentation on IHSS because we have many new commissioners who are probably not as familiar with how it works as they would like to be. Yeah, I think that's a great idea, and perhaps what we could do is think about um, if you if, if you you wanted to hear about different programs, we could probably schedule something throughout the year so that we you get a little bit more in depth view of programs and actually get to hear from the program directors themselves. Would that be helpful? Yes. Okay. So we'll work on um, Jill and Cindy and I will work on scheduling that with Bridget. Thank you. Anything else? Thank you, Shireen. <clears throat> Employee recognition. The Dawes Commission and Executive Director Shireen McFadden will honor Aditi Velour, Rosa Ortiz, Dan Kelly, Kelly Bryant, Alexis Cobins, Laura Duenas, Cassandra James, Rhonda Johnson, Van Luong, Dr. Roxanne Manning, Brenda McGregor, Phyllis Pettis, Priscilla Prado, Paulo Salta, and Armando Zapote for, from the Racial Equity Work Group, G-A-R-E. So you guys all get to come up here, because you're the stars. Come on, Paulo. <laughs> come on, Rosie. All right, so this is a really, uh-oh. <laughs> you got those heels. OK. I am really excited today to um, honor everyone here, and I know the commission is as well. One of the things that um, we've struggled with, I think, for a long time at HSA, given that we're such a large agency, is how do we think about things like racial equity? You know, how do we handle um, such a big topic and, and really make sure that we're giving it due diligence and really thinking about the fact that racial equity issues follow people through life? Right? They follow people through generations. And there are things that are really hard to, to think about. And often, so we often say, we're not, gonna, we're not gonna do this, or we're gonna do it in little bits and bites, right? And um, I think that, that, well, I know that Human Services Agency has a real commitment to thinking about equity and really making sure that we're an equitable place to work. One of the things that I can say that that um, we've been fortunate to do at the Department of Aging and Adult Services is think about what how that equity what equity looks like in the community amongst the people that we're serving. Are we serving people equitably? Does do the people we're serving match the populations and all of that stuff? And we've had a chance to do that, thinking about you know looking externally and 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 how are we serving the populations of San Francisco? 
equitably. But one of the things that is, that is exciting about the work that all of you are doing along with all of us is that we're now really thinking internally about how do our staff measure up to the people we're serving in terms of, of you know, the diversity? How are we thinking about ensuring that we have opportunities for all to advance? And that takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of introspection. And I think I'm very pleased that Human Services Agency, Trent and Ingrid and I, um, are very committed to making sure that we're figuring this out. But we could not be doing that with all, without all of the work that you have done. So I want to specifically and particularly call out Adithi and Rosie. Um, you guys just raise your hands so everybody knows who you are. Adithi and Rosie have regular jobs that they do. And they were both super committed to the process of, um, of the Government Alliance for Racial Equity and really thinking about you know, being representatives on that body and, and being the leaders for us and pulling together this work. And so I, it was hours and hours and hours and of, of work and revisions. Um, and so I just know how much you put into that. I mean, I probably don't know, but um, I'm super <laughs> impressed that you did your work and that you also did this. And I wanna thank both of you. And the, one of the things that Adithi and Rosie did and, and needed to do was to pull together a group of people across the agency who were committed to thinking about racial equity and, and who really wanted to see HSA do better than we currently do. And so all of you um, have really done that work. And I know that it's hard work. I know that sometimes you feel like it's not supported in the way it should be. And I, th and I think that you've all you know, struggled through that and you kn because you know that this is such an important process, right? And we all know it's an important process and we're just at the beginning. <coughs> so we now have all of the work that you've put together, you know, surveying staff, thinking about what people's pain points are, looking at a classification as an example of you know, where we see, you know, whether we are m matching the, the population that we're serving, um, and also looking at the fact that at the, at the leadership level, we're not as diverse as we should be. We're not reflecting the community the way we should be. So we have some really good information, right? And our next steps are really to think about the implementation of this, of this um, really putting it into a way that we can make sure that we're keeping ourselves in check and, and, and you know, really moving forward in the way that we need to be. And we could absolutely not have done that without the work of each of you as well as the people who couldn't be here today. So one of the reasons I wanted to make sure that we were, that we were honoring you at the Aging and Adult Services Commission, even though there's also the Human Services Commission, is because this is really serious work for our agency. And it is also serious work for our commissioners to think about ensuring that our department is always thinking about equity and that it's a value. So um, I just wanna thank each of you, and I'm gonna go ahead and read everyone's name, even though I know not everyone is here. Um, but thank you so much. Really appreciate everything that you've done, and, and I know that you will continue to do with us. Thank you. So um, I'm just gonna hand these because there's so many people. <laughs> I'm gonna hand these to you. Adithi, thank you. Rosie. Dan Kelly is not here. 
Kelly Bryant. <laughs> Alexis is no longer with the agency. Oh, you're here. <laughs> See you. I'm glad you made it. That's great. So. Laura. Laura, thank you. Cassandra James. Rhonda Johnson. Van Long. Um, Dr. Roxanne Manning. Not here. Brenda is not here. Phyllis Pettis. Oh. Priscilla Prado. Here, Jerome. Paulo Salta. And Armando Zapote, not here. Okay. So thank you all again. Um, it would be great if we could get a quick picture. So, and thank you to everyone at HSA who turned out to support your colleagues. This is a really fantastic. No, that's okay. Okay. <clears throat> Next up is the Advisory Council, Diane Lawrence. Good morning, Commissioners. Director McSpadden. The Advisory Council met on the 21st of August, and I wanted to point out that we had an all of our members, with the exception of two, uh, excused. That was one of the largest turnouts all year, so we wanted to point that out. Both of those members uh, were excused. We're, we still have some gaps um, in membership, which we're working on. Um, Director McSpadden gave um, a report, um, much of which I think she's talked about both in her August report to all of you and in today's report. Um, we had a presentation um, by Michael Zog, Rose Johns, and Adithi Villar on the master uh, on the um, area area plan on aging, the 2021-2024 process, because it's time for them to rewrite um, a whole new plan 
So we asked them to come and give us a heads up. So we uh, were aware, especially since we have some new uh, council members, knew the process, uh, could get, get our questions answered so we could hopefully um, streamline things when it comes crunch time to get it read and approved. Um, they, uh, Ms. Johns outlined the plan for us, its requirements, its limitations, and where the council may be able to provide some input on the goals and objectives section. I think as a result, we all had a much better understanding of where this fits into the um, department's work. Um, its roots come from the Older Americans Act, which Director McSpadden just noted is up for reauthorization again. And it's reporting just on that funding. So we'll get an update at our November council meeting. Um, we'll get a draft to review in February with the goal being that uh, in March we approve it so when it comes to the commission for final approval, it's already signed by me and ready to go. So we meet the May deadline because our goal is to make sure we um, meet the May deadline. The one thing I wanted to point out is that the team making the presentation has listened to the council members' concerns over the past few years when we get to this point um, about having more time to read the report um, and again having a better insight into where um, we move. Um, Dr. Marcy Edelman gave an LGBT update, um, pointed out that there may be some delays uh, in opening <coughs> from 75 to 95 Laguna um, LGBT-centered senior housing. Um, Dr. Edelman's also been appointed to the Governor's Task Force on Alzheimer's and Dementia. And she pointed out that the task, for, task force will meet in September and October and that its recommendations will be incorporated into the master plan that Director McSpadden. So they won't be working across purposes because that's one of the, the goals. We gave, there were two site visits. We're really pushing hard this year to get our site visit count up. One was for the Richmond Senior Center uh, with food supplied by Open Hand, and we had a really lively discussion about that. And um, Michael, Mike Zog took some stuff, some things back to um, the group, his group, to get us some answers. And then the OMI Senior um, Center, uh, which I don't know that we had visited in a while, and that food supplied by Onlock and run by Catholic Charities. Um, we still have some reports outstanding, so we'll probably have a few more. Uh, two announcements were given. One was on the uh, event Sunday, getting there together at Civic Center uh, for seniors and adults with disabilities. And then also um, a flyer on the Aging Your Way celebration flyer for the 26th. And we talked a little bit about the um, September 20th event on the master plan. So that's what we did in Thank August. you, Diane. Any comments or questions from the commission, from the public? Diane, you're going to say <laughs> for the Joint Legislative Committee. Okay, we um, had a few bills that changed. We're at a point in the session where on the 13th, everything has to be finalized. So the session, um, I think, recesses. So because this is the first year of a two-year, a lot of some of these bills will come back. Some of them we may never see again. Some may come back with that number under new name and identity. So the majority have moved into the appropriation suspense file, and um, that's because they have a price tag. They call for a new commission or a task force. Um, 
We think we know that some of these will become two-year bills. We don't quite know which ones yet. We'll have a much better idea um, at the turn of the year. Um, they um, oftentimes, um, Ann Warren of the senior, one of our representatives of the California Senior Legislature pointed out that a bill calling for a study or a pilot often isn't approved or passed on the first time out. So we may see some of these things come back, if not the rest of this session, legislative session, and then another one. Um, the, an appropriations hearing was scheduled for the 21st, so we'll probably have a, we will have a better idea. Um, I can report on next month. Basically, we have nine of which nothing was done on, and we kind of pulled them off the list. We have 19 that had no updates. And in our group of 50, it's, um, so that's kind of where we're stalled out. One additional one on residential uh, care facilities for the elderly with licensing regulations has passed and is getting ready to enroll, <coughs> to be enrolled, so it's probably getting close to the governor's signature. So we'll continue monitoring this. Um, since the session ends, we're talking about whether we need an October or November meeting since um, there may be nothing to report on, but we'll keep you posted. Thank you, Diane. Any comments or questions? Any comments or questions from the public? Thank you very much. You're welcome. There's no LTC report. We have a case report. <clears throat> Good morning, Commissioners. Director McSpadden, Greg Moore, co-chair of CASE. Um, our August membership meeting uh, began, if you will, our advocacy efforts uh, for this next year's budget. Uh, we had our annual brainstorming session with over 30 agencies um, participating in a brainstorming session on uh, where we want to request funding in next year's budget. Uh, it was a very engaged group uh, with some great suggestions. I think we ended up with 17 uh, areas that obviously we'll need to, to cull down. We'll, we'll continue that work at our September meeting. Um, narrowing down and then also uh, forming some ad hoc committees that will do the research, compile data uh, towards developing a formal uh, platform. Um, and we'll keep you apprised of that uh, through the fall. Um, last month, uh, co-chair Sue Horst of San Francisco Senior Centers and I um, were pleased to meet with Dignity Fund Coalition chairs um, with uh, oversight and advisory committee chairs with service provider work group chairs uh, along with Director McSpadden and Melissa uh, McGee from, from DOS about the <coughs> uh, leadership going forward of the service provider work group. Um, Leslie, uh, Ashley McCumber and Annie Chung who have been serving as co-chairs well past their, their term um, and are, are looking for some relief, if you will, um, had, had ventured earlier this year, uh, reached out uh, to talk about this, and we were finally able to coordinate and, and come together. Uh, it resulted in the idea of Dignity Fund Coalition and CASE sharing leadership responsibilities. Um, and um, both of our agencies uh, co-hosting the four annual service provider work group meetings. Uh, so we will both, um, Sue and I and um, uh, Fiona and Marie will be taking back to their organization uh, 
this concept uh, and seeing what our memberships uh, would prefer, whether we each take two or we truly co-host all four together. And then we'll be reporting back to uh, uh, Ramona uh, with that final determination. We also talked about the scheduling, uh, what would be the best strategic schedule for these meetings uh, to, to give some consistency so people uh, that wish to participate could plan accordingly. Um, all of this with the goal of making the efforts not only of service provider work group, but Dignity Fund, the coalition case, all of us uh, more aligned um, and quite frankly, reducing the, the great number of meetings, important meetings, but nonetheless, a lot of them um, so that we can all be more effective. Um, and then finally, I've talked about it for seemingly ever, uh, but it's finally here. Um, as Diane mentioned, our getting there together celebration of all ages and all abilities is this Sunday in Civic Center Plaza. Um, we have over 40 exhibitors. We have a whole slate packed with talent, including a 350-voice senior choir uh, that received the award that uh, Shireen was talking about, um, and then a uh, full agenda of uh, engaging uh, interactive activities at our outdoor gymnasium. Uh, would love to see you all. We welcome anyone and everyone. Again, Sunday, 11 to 4. Um, and I think that's everything. What? Thank you, Greg. Oh, any comments or questions from the commission? From the public? No. Thank you. <clears throat> The next item on the agenda is the nominating committee. Commissioner Katie Lou is the chair of that committee, and the committee is recommending John Halstead to be nominated to the DAS Commission Advisory Council. As I said at the beginning of the meeting, there will be no voting on this recommendation, but we invite um, Mr. Halstead to make some comments if he's here. And he is. Um, thank you so much. First and foremost, I do want to express my gratitude for the opportunity uh, to serve on the council. Um, I, I would come to this position uh, potentially uh, with, uh, as a professional with experience in uh, advertising and also financial services, um, as an educator in higher education and uh, disability advocate, most importantly as a consumer of direct services. So um, moving to San Francisco about six years ago, uh, I wouldn't feel protected, I wouldn't be independent without being on the receiving end of, of human services, but most importantly, I wouldn't feel like I belong, um, and I wouldn't feel welcomed into the city that I have grown to love. So I'll give you a small, quick, trivial but um, example that gets the point across. Um, so when I, uh, I feel overwhelmed, um, I do one thing, so I'll just back up for a second. I was really overwhelmed with work, right? And when I feel overwhelmed to do one thing, I go to Safeway, which is right below my apartment building, and buy uh, the highest grade of dark chocolate bar I can get. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
hands down, that, that, that's what I do. Um, the only catch to that, though, is that I can't open up the chocolate bar until my caretaker helps me uh, open it up, right? So I had a busy morning uh, that, that morning uh, from 7 o'clock. She's there for two hours from 7 to 9. Um, from 7 to 8.30, I was stuck on email and doing a series of video conferences. I had to be whisked into the shower. By the time I got out of the shower, I realized, oh my gosh, I forgot to ask Zoila, my caretaker, to open up the chocolate bar, and my heart sank. <laughs> um, I got to the kitchen, I opened up the fridge, I you know, saw, okay, yes, she made the, the kale salad, so yes, I am, my needs are met. Um, however, I couldn't find the chocolate bar, and I turned around, and I saw the chocolate bar um, not only opened, but in a jar, not only in a jar, broken into small pieces, um, not only in small pieces, but placed in a position to where I could uh, grab it with my mouth, with the lid cracked. Um, so it's just a small example of, of my life that not only um, my experience with human services uh, that don't only help me become independent, don't only meet my needs, but really make, make me feel like I belong, feel like I'm understood. Um, and you don't get there without putting the human, um, you know, foregrounded in the model of human services. Um, so I'm very excited to, again, have this opportunity to be on the council, um, understand and get to know my colleagues on the council uh, on a human level as well as the people we serve. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Um, commissioners, there is a resume, a copy of Mr. Harness's resume in your package, and we look forward to voting on the recommendation next month. Thank you very much for coming. Any comments or questions? Yeah, I just want to say a few words. Uh, Thank with, you. Uh, Josh, education, experience, and uh, I think it will really add diversity to our council. Thank you, Katie. And I just wanted to express appreciation to Mr. Halstead for uh, coming uh, to, because I served with Commissioner Liu on the nominating committee uh, and for the interview that we did uh, to make this recommendation. As the, as the commission expands in scope and, uh, and, and really seeks to embrace inclusively the disability uh, aspect of things, I think that uh, your participation and perspectives will enrich the Advisory Council and want to just thank you for taking the time uh, and the interest uh, to, to contribute. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Diane? <clears throat> I just wanted to comment that uh, Josh came to our last council meeting. We opened the invitation uh, when I was first um, Coming to the council, that was a question I was asked by then Supervisor Breed, now Mayor Breed, had I ever been to a meeting? So we made that offer to two of our potential members, and Josh was able to come that day and um, got to see what we were doing. So we're, we're really excited about the possibility. Thank you. Thank you very much. The next item on the agenda is old business. There is none. Item six, new business. The Community Living Fund six-month update. Fanny Lapitan <coughs> will present. Welcome, Fanny. Good morning, commissioners. Good morning, Executive Director McSpadden. I'm Fanny Lapitan, Program Analyst for the Office of Community Partnerships. And I'm here today to present the Community Living Fund six-month report. Um, 
I'd like to give a quick overview for our newer commissioners um, since our last report was back in April. Um, the Community Living Fund, or CLF, was created in 2006 to support aging in place and community placement alternatives for individuals who may otherwise require care within an institution. Um, CLF provides home and community-based services using two-pronged approach of um, co coordinated case management and purchase of goods and services. The Institute on Aging, or IOA, is currently the contracted service provider for the CLF program. The program serves adult San Francisco residents whose incomes are up to 300% of the federal poverty level, those who are willing and able to live in the community with appropriate supports, and um, those who have a demonstrated need for a service or resource that will serve to enable community living or prevent institutionalization. The target population includes individuals who are ready to discharge from Laguna Honda Hospital, Zuckerberg San Francisco General, and other San Francisco skilled nursing facilities. We also serve individuals who are at imminent risk of institutional placement, but are willing and able to remain in the community with appropriate supports. A section in the San Francisco Administrative Code requires that DOS report CLF's level of services provided and cost incurred every six months. Um, and my report today will be fulfilling this requirement. Um, you will find in the six-month report covering January through June 2019 a lot of information, um, but um, I'd like to just briefly note some of the highlights in the report. <laughs> Uh, first off is the, the total new referrals to CLF this reporting period of 158. Um, this is consistent with trends over the life of the period. Um, most of these referrals were eligible for CLF. During this reporting period, um, CLF served 343 cl clients in total with about 75% receiving intensive case management and purchase of equipment and, and services through IOA. We also served 100 clients um, through the rental subsidy, uh, Scattersite Housing and Rental Subsidy Administration. Um, Brilliant Corners is currently our contracted partner for that program. And consistent with overall program trends to date, about 72% of referred clients were older adults age 60 and up. Uh, trends in ethnic profile of new referrals also remain generally consistent with prior periods. Referrals for white clients make up the largest group at 41%, African Americans are at 21%, Latino at 20%, and Asian and Pacific Islander or API referrals at 16%, which is a slight increase from our last report. Uh, during this reporting period also, um, IOA worked with RTZ Associates um, to update the CLF care plan module with the revised service plan library and layout. The improvements are made to enhance the accuracy of reporting performance metrics uh, related to the CLF care plan. And as you will notice, data on the second performance measure in this report um, on page th three is currently not available, but will be in the next reporting. And finally, we're happy to report that the CLF program worked extensively on its staffing plan to fill vacancies at IOA, resulting in the program being fully staffed. Um, we hope that this would lead to an overall increase in clients served and further decrease the number of people and the wait time on the wait list. Um, at this time, I'd be happy to answer any question if you have any. Thank you very much, Fanny. Any comments or questions from the commission? 
Commissioner Arcelona. Thank you. Um, thank you, Fanny. Sure. Um, just a couple of questions as I was looking at some of the charts in the back. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, with regard to uh, the areas of the city that are being served, um, what attempts are being made to increase referrals from uh, zip codes 9412434 um, and 12, Bayview, Hunters Point, Fizz Valley, and the OMI? Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, so our referrals are mostly, uh, through the DOS integrated intake, they're mostly f uh, from um, skilled nursing facilities, primarily um, Laguna Honda Hospital. So, um, but we, we, we will look at the different areas where we feel that there would, um, there's opportunity to increase, provide um, better access to the CLF fund. Um, and we, we, that would be something that we could work on at this time. But um, the, primarily the referrals do come from Laguna Honda. Laguna Honda Hospital, and um, we do conduct other outreach. Um, the Community Living Fund does do um, presentations in the community to make sure that they spread the word about CLF. Um, I like looking at the, the graphs in the back. Uh, there was one or a couple of graphs in the back that were um, specifically chart number three, where there is a red bar with white dots on it, and I I couldn't tell what area that was from. Uh, is it the, is this a CLF referrals by zip code? Is that the table, it's the graph you're looking at? Yeah, okay. right. It looks like that would be uh, the very, the second from the top, um, 94133. Okay. North Beach Telegraph Hill. All right. There was another one lower that looked like the same color. Mm-hmm. Um, And maybe lastly, there was two charts in the back. One was 2-2, um, two, two which is the Community Living Fund six-month report. And then there was another one, 5.2, mm -hmm. uh, which had exactly the same title and exactly the same months, but I and the put different figures on it. So yes. what's the difference between The, the difference uh, would be that the 2.2 um, are numbers related to referrals to CLF, whereas 5.2 are actual enrolled. Got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Might want to label that. Any other we'll relabel it to make sure it's clear next time. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? I guess I have a question just... Um, if, if most of the people are coming from Laguna Honda, do the um, zip codes that are, are noted here reflect where they originally lived? So is that, is that? At the time of referral, it would be what their uh, address was. So, so all I'm asking is they're not, it, it doesn't reflect them being in Laguna Honda in that particular area of town. It reflects what, where they were living before. They were in Laguna Honda and then got discharged. Is that? Yeah, how? there are some um, CLF referrals who come from the community um, directly yes. from where they're yes. living, and right. then otherwise. But otherwise, this is a distribution, yes. basically of residents in San Francisco and what what neighborhoods they came from. Good. 
Uh, and does that sort of just reflect what, because this is a lot of this is uh, based on income, where does that reflect those? Um, really, looking at the, um, the neighborhoods, uh, I'm sorry, the zip codes, a lot of those zip codes are, they're sort of um, surrounded or they have a major hospital okay. um, around that area. So that could possibly be as well the sort of a, a reason why there are more referrals coming from specific yeah. areas. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Any comments or questions from the public? Thank you very much, Fan. Thank you. <clears throat> the next item is a presentation on the DAS fiscal year 1920 schedule for requests for proposals and contract renewals with Rocio Duenas and Ophelia Trevino to present. Welcome. And is that Duenas or Duenas? Duenas, okay, thank you. Good morning, Commissioners, Executive Director McSpadden. My name is Rocio Duenas. I'm from HSA's Office of Contract Management. I'm joined by my colleague, uh, DOS Administrative Analyst Ophelia Trevino. And we're here this morning to present to you the fiscal year 1920 schedule of requests for proposals, contract modifications, and contract renewals. Every year, contracts and program staff work together to develop this schedule, and we present it here at Commission in order to give both the Commission as well as the community an overview of what we're working on and what <coughs> programs and contracts we'll be bringing to Commission for approval over the course of the year. Okay. okay. First is the schedule of requests for proposals for fiscal year 1920. On the next four slides, you'll see our list of RFPs for this year. These are programs that are either new programs or existing programs with contracts that are expiring that need a new procurement. The RFPs marked with an asterisk are services that will begin in the current fiscal year. Those RFPs are currently in process and have planned contract start dates in fiscal year 1920. The rest of the RFPs will begin services in fiscal year 2021 with a contract start date of July 1st, 2020. You'll see we've listed the program name, the month in which we plan on releasing the RFP to the public, and the month in which we plan on bringing the item to Commissioner for approval. These dates are tentative and could possibly change, but for the most part, we'll try to stick to this schedule as much as possible. The RFP process usually takes approximately three months from the time that we issue the RFP to the time that we bring the contracts to commission for approval. So you'll see we've scheduled the commission dates for these uh, three months out from the RFP release date. There are a total of 25 RFPs on our schedule this year. Last year we had a total of 22 RFPs, so we're seeing a bit of an increase this year. Um, we will, however, aim to have all of our RFPs issued by January. Now I'd like to hand it over to Ophelia, and she'll go into more detail on some of the programs. Good morning, Commissioners and Executive Director McSpadden. Um, for fiscal year 
1920 request for proposals, we have SF Connected scheduled for an RFP release in September. In the last fiscal year, 1819, SF Connected served approximately 2,050 unduplicated clients in over 50 technology labs spread throughout San Francisco with approximately 200 computers. SF Connected will continue to offer digital literacy training for older adults and adults with disabilities. We also have employment services for adults with disabilities and older adults with an RFP release date of October. Services will provide a continuum of job assistance and workforce opportunities for older adults and adults with disabilities via partnerships with community-based organizations and the Human Services Agency Jobs Now program. The grant will bring clients wealth of knowledge, talent, and experience to the workforce while also providing clients with added income and increased social connection with others. Um, the Dementia Care Project for LGBTQ with an RFP release of October is intended to address the needs of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender older adults and adults with disabilities in San Francisco living with Alzheimer's and related dementia through a series of trainings presented to staff and providers at community-based organizations, private organizations, and hospitals. Trainings will provide education to staff and providers to improve awareness of current issues faced by LGBTQ clients and best practices for organizations to promote an inclusive and safe environment for LGBTQ clients. Um, we also have the Family Caregiver Support Services, which will provide assistance to San Francisco residents who are caregivers to older adults and adults under 60 with an Alzheimer's diagnosis. The grant will provide caregiver support in the form of respite, counseling, case management, assessments, and information assistance. Um, the Support at Home program will provide home care vouchers for older adults and adults with disabilities who do not meet program eligibility for home <coughs> care programs like IHSS. Home care services include general housework, errands, non-medical personal care. The program has broader income and resource limits than IHSS and provides financial assistance for clients who may be recovering from surgical um, surgeries, patients, and have temporary injuries, temporary disabilities, and or permanent disabilities. Okay, so next I'd like to present to you our list of contract modifications. Um, typically in the first half of the year, we see some new funding coming through budgetary addbacks, and this is to support or expand current programs. And here we have listed just a few contracts that we'd like to highlight, which we'll be, we'll be modifying this year to add additional funding. Um, you'll see one was approved at commission back in June, and the other two are scheduled to be brought to commission in October. And lastly, I'd like to present to you the contracts that are up for renewal this year. Um, renewals typically happen during the second half of the fiscal year. We plan on bringing these to commission for approval in the months of April, May, and June. These are contracts that we currently have in place and are set to expire at the end of this fiscal year, but we have an option in the contract to extend the term. Um, when we award a contract, we usually have an initial term, and then we'll include an option in the contract to extend for a certain number of years, uh, usually one to two years. So um, I'd also like to point out that most of these programs have multiple contracts, and they will be presented at commission as a group. 
For example, some of the larger programs are uh, nutrition services, which includes approximately 50 contracts, and community services, which includes approximately 29 contracts. Uh, the rest of the programs are smaller programs and have anywhere between one and eight contracts. In total, for the year, there are approximately 100 contracts that will be, need to be renewed. Last year, we had about 82 contracts that were brought to commission in May and June for renewal. So we're seeing quite an increase in, this, uh, in the renewals as well this year. Um, so we've tried to spread them out a little more uh, from the months of April to June. The DOS Nutrition Program for fiscal year 1920 includes renewals for home-delivered meals, home-delivered groceries, and congregate meals for older adults and adults with disability. In fiscal year 1819, approximately over 2 million home-delivered meals were provided to adults with disabilities and older adults. Over a million congregate meals were made for older adults and adults with disabilities, and over 100,000 um, home-delivered groceries were delivered. We hope to sustain these services and for this coming year. This concludes our presentation. Uh, we're happy to answer any questions. Thank you very much. It's a formidable schedule. Any, any comments or questions from the commission? <laughs> any comments or questions from the public? Um, have the contractors all reviewed this, and are they comfortable with the timelines and the time between the RFP and the actual determination about the award? Um, so the contractors, um, they're not aware of this schedule yet, but oh. we do, that's why we bring it here to commission so that the public is aware of what's coming. Okay. And um, we do send out notices when the RFPs are released. Uh, we have a, a large emailing list and we send it out to all the contractors. Okay, but it's important that they're in sync as well because there's a lot for them to do. Yeah. So um, the, as much advance notice as they can get makes the process much smoother for everyone. Thank you very much. Commissioner Liu. I really have one concern when we have 80-plus uh, contracts approved in a couple of months. Yes. And then there's a lot to study. I'm just wondering whether it can be divided into three months instead of like two months to be, uh, to be presented before the commission so that we have a little time to study and yes. mm -hmm. so, yeah, do a better the, job. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so for the renewals, uh, this year we are splitting them between April, May, and June. Uh, last year we had them all in um, May and June, so we are trying to give ourselves a little more time this year. And we also do present the larger programs as a group commission packet, so that kind of helps as well. But we will try to spread them out evenly between the three months, so there's not too much. In yeah, that, given that would really kind of help. Yes. Okay. And also the other thing, just we are on the, I'm a, I'm a budget person, so I like to look at the numbers, and some of the numbers are so small, and literally what I have to do is one hand with my pencil and another hand with a magnifying glass. <laughs> I don't know how to solve the problem because the numbers, I mean, you know, if, if you, expanded to large number, it will use more pages. So I don't know, maybe I should buy one of those that dentists use magnifying. <laughs> <laughs> I can definitely talk to our staff and see if there's yeah. something that we can do to improve the, improve the budgets and make Thank it easier you. to read. Thank you, any other comments or questions? Thank you very much. Thank you. <clears throat> Next is the review of the department's fiscal year 2019-20 action plan. Shireen. 
So yes, um, while Rose is setting up, I'll just start um, and to say that um, I think, I, well I know, I know all of you know that we have a fantastic planning team at Human Services Agency and that we get really great support from Rose and her team, Rose and Adithi and Perry um, and some of the others who fill in sometimes. And one of the things that um, this team came up with is, hey, maybe we should have an action plan that is just for the year, that kind of takes all of the work that we're doing and projecting and um, puts it into one document so that we can, you know, th so we can really make sure that we're holding ourselves accountable to the things that we've said we're going to do, and that we can use it as a planning document, not only with the commission and the public, but also with our with our leadership team. Um, at, at all levels of the organization. And so I think that was a, it was a fantastic idea. I'm very happy to have this. I think this is the first time we've really had this. And I also want to thank Rose and her team for putting together um, a year in review, which also allows us to look back at what we've done over the past year and, and all of the great successes that we've had. So um, what we're going to do today is just go through um, the action plan. And, and Rose and I went to looked together and highlighted some things that we wanted that I would like to talk about today. Um, I don't have time to go over every single action item because that would you'd be here for hours, and I know President Serena would not not have that. So, uh, um, so we're going to just go through, and I'm going to highlight one um, strategy from each goal, and then, but we, um, I am happy to answer any questions you have about anything else that I don't mention, and I'm, Rose is going to help me field those questions. Bridget, oh, okay. So um, you can see that we have five, five overarching strategic plan goals um, to remain a, maintain a robust network of community-based services, protect older people and adults with disabilities from abuse, neglect, and financial exploitation, um, provide consumer-centered programming, expand planning and evaluation efforts to ensure best use of resources and maximize client outcomes, and then support and develop and engage professional workforce that is prepared to work with older people and adults with disabilities. <clears throat> so from goal one, um, I really just wanted to highlight Strategy B, which is to explore alternative models to best serve younger adults with disabilities. Um, as you may remember, the 2018 Dignity Fund Community Needs Assessment highlighted that people with disabilities in San Francisco experience discrimination and other forms of ableism, and that there's a lack of awareness and utilization of available resources. So one way we are acting to address this equity issue is by working with community members um, service organizations, advocates, and other city departments to develop a center that will provide information about and access to disability programs and services, and also create a space for people with disabilities to come together, um, which will also help advance social and disability justice and celebrate disability culture and pride. Um, last year, um, you, you approved a contract that we had with the Paul K. Longmore Institute at San Francisco State, Institute on Disability at San Francisco State, to research and convene a community stakeholder group to inform the scope and structure of this center. We knew we didn't have the expertise to do this on our own, and we really wanted to make sure that we got all of the information that we needed to, to do this right. Um, in the current year, we'll be using the information that we got from them to take next steps toward establishing the center. 
Um, as far as I know, as far as we know, this is the first city-led disability cultural center in the nation. So there are disability cultural centers often attached to um, education, edu you know, universities and things like that. But there really, as far as we know, is not one that's municipally funded. We want to make sure it's significant. It's a significant space. It's accessible and welcoming, and focused on being a disability center. So we don't want to. Somebody said, "Please don't put it in the basement of a church." No offense to uh, churches, but uh, so we we really want to make sure that it's the space that is going to be fully accessible on transportation lines, all of those things. Um, Nicole Bond, who's the director of the Mayor's Office on Disability, and I have been shopping this idea around to various city departments, trying to find out who might be able to help us find the right spot. And we've met a lot of people who've been really helpful, and I think we'll get there. Um, but it's challenging to find a space that has all of the requirements that we need. And so normally we wouldn't put the work in at the department level or, you know, at the city level to... to and we just kind of say, okay, nonprofits, you can figure this out. But because this is so important, and because there may be an opportunity to partner um, with, you know, in a retail space that, or somebody, something that was initially designed for retail, rather, um, given that there's vacancies, you know, there there may be something else available. So, we are continuing to work on that together. It's we have a fantastic partnership with the Mayor's Office on Disability. I'm really grateful for Nicole's partnership. Um, so we will be letting you know about progress on that and and I'm also hopeful and I put it out there every day almost that somebody will help us find a space and that um, so if you happen to have your thinking cap on and and have any contacts it would be great to hear about those so goal two is to uh, or sorry goal two we wanted to highlight strategy a which is to develop specialized resources to address specific client needs and resolve complex cases, including high-risk conditions, self-neglect behaviors, and financial abuse. And we chose to, um, in this case, highlight action three, establish a community-based conservatorship unit to support clients in the community independence participation program, post-acute permanent conservatorship, and new housing conservatorship programs. I think you know everybody knows that um, conservatorship is a hot topic right now because people are trying to figure out how do we help people on the streets who need services and need treatment and yet aren't able to access those, those programs on their own. Um, so we are continuing to work with the Department of Public Health and the Mayor's Office and other, um, other city departments, the DA, the city attorney, et cetera. Um, public defender to ensure that our services are the best that they can be. So we're continuing to our efforts to develop robust, innovative models for mental health conservatorship by establishing a specialized unit of staff within the Office of Public Conservator that manage our special community-based conservatorship programs. And Jill um, has taken a lot of leadership with her team on that, but I think um, San Francisco's really unique in that most counties don't do community-based conservatorship programs, and it's it's kind of breaking new ground to think about people being able to get that level of treatment and still live in the community. So we have two special programs now, the Community Independence Participation Program and the Post-Acute Conservatorship Program. Um, we're using a strengths-based approach and adhering to a wellness and recovery model. Um, the programs prom promote psychiatric stability for indiv individuals with less intensive needs who can readily maintain stability when taking prescribed medication, but who have a demonstrated history of not adhering to their medication regimen. 
Last year, we had 56 individuals participate in our two community-based conservatorship programs. Um, in addition, the new unit will handle the new housing conservatorship program that the city will implement this year, which is SB 1045, which I'm, I know you've heard quite a bit about. And then um, in total, <clears throat> about 38% of our clients, um, 230, are in community placements. For example, board and care, home, um, single room occupancy hotel. However, most of these clients who have progressed to the lower, uh, most of these clients have progressed to the lower level of care, um, whereas the other clients who in the community programs um, actually skip that higher level of care and in, are just served in the community. Um, CIPP is a voluntary conservatorship with monthly court appearances for, for engagement and to ensure that the person is sticking to the, to the medication regimen and treatment. Shireen, excuse me, would you like questions after each goal or at the end? I think let's go through the whole thing and then we'll answer any questions. So goal three is to provide and support con consumer-centered programming. As I mentioned, um, strategy B, streamline access to resources and advanced service integration across department and community to promote timely access of relevant services. We chose action two, enhance integration of services located at the DOS Benefits and Resource Hub and develop a revised outreach strategy. So I did mention um, earlier in my report that we have Kate Shadowen on as the new director of the DOS Benefits and Resource Hub. We're able to move forward with many improvements to streamline the services and enhance our outreach, which is something we really need to do. Um, she brings great experience, and we're really looking forward to, to hearing about her outreach strategy, outreach plan. Um, with her on board, we're integrating all the services at the hub, including bringing the um, reporting line of the DOS il eligibility unit from IHSS over to the hub. Um, the other thing that we are doing that I forgot to mention earlier is that we've moved the provider um, assistance center from across the street into the hub as well so that both providers and clients can get services to the hub and we figured it would be a much better use of the space and a much better experience for providers and clients to be able to go to one place. And you know, a lot of our providers are also recipients of services and so it really makes sense that they can go to one place where they can get information for themselves as well as get information about um, you know, as well as do the, the things that they need to do to be a provider or to um, change their information and all of that stuff. And then um, we've also moved the responsibilities of the in-home supportive services care transitions program, which was in initially under the hub, over to IHSS to better streamline the IHSS enrollment process for our clients. Um, and so there's a lot of stuff there. I think your suggestion, President Serenia, about having um, you know, an updated report on IHSS is a good one, and that'll really help put some of these things, you know, to make it more clear as to what we've actually done. But it's really, for us, an important move, and it really does help streamline our processes to better serve San Franciscans. And then goal four, um, we chose strategy C, facilitate planning processes and implementation of efforts to promote inclusion of older people and adults with disabilities within the broader city community. Um, action one is to coordinate age and disability friendly, or our ADS, 
ADF-SF workgroup to facilitate implementation of ADF-SF action plan, including recommendations related to accessible transportation and ex accessory dwelling units. Um, through the Asian Disability San Francisco Initiative, our city has joined nation and worldwide networks led by the World Health Organization and AARP that promote inclusive and accessible cities for people of all ages, including disability in our local effort. And as far as I know, we may be the only age and disability friendly plan. Um, uh, San Francisco is currently focused on implementing recommendations from the ADF-SF Action Plan crafted by a multi-departmental and community task force in 2017-18. DOS coordinates the ADF-SF Workgroup, which is co-chaired by Nicole Bond and Kelly Dearman. Nicole, I mentioned, is from Mayor's Office on Disability. Kelly is the IHSS Public Authority Director. Over the last year, the workgroup has helped advance policies and programs that support seniors and people with disabilities to live engaged and fulfilling lives including piloting of a new ageism and ableism training for healthcare providers, increasing crosswalk timing at key intersections, and developing strategies to support the capacity of affordable assisted living in San Francisco. In the next year, we'll be focusing on other recommendations from the action plan, including a focus on accessible transportation and accessory dwelling units. Um, and I'm really excited that we finally have gone to print, or about to go to print, with the Agent Disability Friendly um, San Francisco Assessment Report, which looks great. I saw the, um, you know, before it went to printing, I, I saw what it will look like, and I'm very excited because we've been waiting a long time um, to get this out to the public. And so there's a nice address from Mayor London Breed. She's very supportive of this effort, and um, you'll all be getting copies of that as soon as it's available. We'll also have it posted on the website. So goal five, um, we chose strategy C, collaborate with education, training, and workforce programs locally and regionally to address the shortage of adequately trained and engaged professionals in the field of aging and disability. We chose action three, support evaluation led by uh, the um, Bay Area Social Services Consortium Adult Services Group and CalSWEC to assess adult protective services stipend pilot modeled after the child Welf welfare title 4E, which some of you may know about, but I know Commissioner Arcelona definitely knows about it. At the state level, our APS program and Deputy Director Jill Nielsen have been part of conversations about creating a stipend for adult protective services to incentivize students to enter the field of, of protective services. And I think, again, I've been saying Jill has taken leadership in a lot of different ways, and she always does, but this is something that she has really helped push at the state level, and I appreciate so much her efforts, um, along with her colleagues who've, who've done, who've really advocated. Um, the funding mechanism is that APF, there's an APS Innovations Grant to um, the Department of Social Services, and then um, the, the Department of Social Services is then this subcontract with CalSWEC. The Bay Area counties, through the BAS coordination, provided matching funding for the grant. So what this means is that we will be able to have stipends. Um, funding for the grant provides money for eight stipends for... Um, <clears throat> for interns, and the DOS is funding two additional stipends for a total of 10. So this is, it's, this is really new for us. I mean, they've definitely had this on the child welfare side for many, many years where 
they provide um, opportunities for internships and also for education for people who want to become social workers and who really want to continue in the field. And one of the issues around this is really, one of the reasons it's important is because it really does address some equity issues um, that people who aren't always able to get in and, and get their master's degree but certainly have lived experience, um, often hard to get a government job as a social worker, right? Um, simultaneously, we really need to be bringing people into aging services and disability services. It's hard to recruit people. And, to, and so it, being able to offer incentives to people to come work for us and to be educated and to you know spend their careers here, it's just really important for us. So this is a big first step. Um, the stipend that people get is approximately 18500 each year, and students have a two-year postgraduate APS slash Bay Area work commitment to fulfill. Um, the first-year placements will be in aging or disability-related county or nonprofit programs, and second-year placements must be with a Bay Area APS program. Last year was the planning year, so, and the, so now this will be our first year of going live in which MSW students will be placed in county APS programs. Um, and then CalSWIC identified two universities to serve as the host institutions for the stipend programs, UC Berkeley and San Jose State University. They each get five stipends. The universities were selected due to their robust aging curricula within their MSW programs, as well as for the geographic locations of the institutions. So that's a really exciting kind of development in, in as we think about the challenge of recruiting um, and maintaining our workforce. And I think those are the five that we wanted to highlight, and we're both happy to answer any questions you have about those or about um, anything else within this action plan. Thank you, Shireen. Thank you, Rose. Um, I have a couple of questions. One is on goal two, the conservative conservatorship issue. Um, there's been quite a bit in the press about the city closing down certain beds that were designed to house people who have severe mental problems um, because there aren't enough staff to service them. And so how does, how does that work with our goal to increase conservatorship and protection for people who really need it if there's no place to house them? Right, that's a very good question. And I know that the Department of Public Health has a plan um, to ensure that people continue to be housed, but there's also a lot of conversations still about the beds um, that were are slated to be shut down and whether there's going to be a plan to figure out the challenges related to that so that it can stay open. Um, but I know very well, having spoken to Grant and to his deputy director, Navina, that there is a plan in place and that um, overall what the, what the city doesn't want to do is lose beds even though they may have had to close a specific facility. Thank you. And there's another sort of related issue. Um, I believe there's some supervisors are planning to introduce either legislation or a ballot measure that will limit conservatorship until all necessary services are in place, which sounds ideal, but is not very practical. Um, we won't have every kind of service for every individual who needs it, but that doesn't mean we don't take action. I understand there's civil rights issues that are a concern to people, but um, it seems, it seems rather counterproductive for that, and I just, I'm curious as to how we're planning in the event that that legislation passes or that ballot initi initiative passes, what do we do? 
Right. So, I mean, I think that, that what we would do as a department is we would be working very closely with the mayor's office and with the Department of Public Health to figure out exactly what that means and how you check those boxes and ensure that we're making as streamlined, you know, the process as streamlined as possible. And you're right, there's some people who ultimately, you know, can't do it without conservatorship in place. Um, there are a lot of people who can respond to treatment if it's available when they need it. And But you're right, ultimately there are going to be a small handful of people who aren't going to be able to make it with in the system, and we just... Ha we can already serve them now. I mean, those people are um, eligible for conservatorship now, and we will continue to serve them with that program. Thank you. And then finally, on goal five, um, I think it's terrific to get stipends and make every effort to recruit professionals. But can we do something along the lines, similar lines, to, to recruit paraprofessionals, um, care workers? There's an right. acute shortage of them, so we can have, we can design the best programs in the world, but if there aren't people around who can implement them at the individual level, um, it's going to be very frustrating and disappointing for us and for our clients. That's very true. And yes, so this is one part of a larger strategy that we need to be involved in to think about how we recruit and ret retain workers at all levels. Um, one of the reasons that we have a partnership with Homebridge is because that they are, they are focused on that and we're working with them on what the best strategy is to increase the workforce there. And it's challenging, and we're learning a lot. And you know, we haven't figured out exactly what the answer is, but we are continuing to work with them to try to figure that out with them. Um, and I think you know, one of the other things that we're doing is is figuring out how we support other programs. So, say the health health worker certificate program at, at um, City College, for example, those workers are really valuable. Um, additions to the system. Certainly they are um, often used at, at Department of Public Health clinics and things like that, but we're working with our providers to see if our providers can use them as well because they bring a wealth of lived experience, often have been incarcerated, often have been really down on their luck or victims of abuse and neglect themselves and know, you know, and they want to bring their lived experience but and their training to this field, either aging and, and disability services to health, all of that. And so we're working with that program as well. So I agree that this is a there's this is a much bigger challenge. Um, there are also some things that need to happen at the state level with respect to um, you know wages for domestic and home care workers. All of those things have to be in play at once. And it's just, you know, we have to keep plugging away at that. Perhaps as part of our participation in the governor's master plan for aging, we can highlight quick remedies that our $21 billion surplus may um, quickly take care of. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that's really important is to look at the overall cost of care. And when, you know, people get very upset about the cost of IHSS, for instance, at the, the cost of the state, and at the same time, you know, nobody's said, hey, but that's a lot, probably a lot cheaper than, you know, long-term care in, an, in a facility. And I think, you know, part of the, again, as I said earlier, part of the master plan really should be how do we, how do we gather data? How do we continue to collect data so that we can learn from it? Because, you know, I think most people in our field feel like it's going to be a lot cheaper to give somebody 200 and whatever hours of IHSS care than it is going to be for them to 
not be able to live at home and go to a nursing home. And so, it, you know, we're still, unfortunately, a little bit behind our European partners on this, but um, it, hopefully this, this state plan will really help get us to where we need to go. Thank you, Shereen. I didn't mean to harass you. I just uh, no, that's what <laughs> wanted to raise these issues. I don't feel harassed. It's fine. <laughs> Um, any other comments or questions? Yeah, I have one question. This goes back to goal number one and uh, your um, desire to find a space for the Disability Cultural Community Center. Can you just elaborate a little bit more on, um, I know it needs to be accessible to all, but do you have a preferred location in the city or size of a space that you're looking for? So, um, our preferred location would be right on public transit specifically. It would be great if it were on Market Street, you know, somewhere that's right on BART and right on Muni Metro and all that stuff and, and where all the buses converge. I mean, transportation is a huge issue. I think, um, you know, having a space that is n as new and adaptable as possible is also important given that it needs to be accessible beyond um, ADA rules. It really needs to be fully accessible for people with a variety of disabilities, and you know that means one being big enough. And I, I'm not. We haven't really identified the size yet. I think, I think we're aware that we may have to start a little smaller than we'd like. I mean, I'm hoping that's not the case. Um, it would be nice to move in someplace and have it stay there and have it be permanent um, and have it be miraculously the right thing. But sometimes when you start this, you have to scale, and so. We're aware of that, but having something that is really adaptable and on, you know, the best like trans transit lines that we can think of is would be ideal. Along those lines, um, yesterday's Chronicle had, I think it was yesterday's Chronicle, had a big article about a variety of housing being built on what's referred to as the hub, Market Street, and Van Ness, and much of that housing is going to be for low income, much of it will be affordable, and there will be a fair amount of public space on ground level, so while that's down the road, perhaps that could be an ultimate location for this particular facility, because it would be brand new, it would meet all of the known requirements, and be accessible from all forms of public transportation. Right, and, and so Nicole and I have had some conversations about those very, that hub and the buildings and what the possibilities are there, and you know, I'm really hopeful that we're gonna find something great like that. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? And, uh, Commissioner Knudsen. Thank you. Um, on goal three, um, I find this particularly the enhancing immigration of services at the Benefits and Resource Hub and develop a revised outreach strategy. I think that, that if, we could, if we could have a report on that as soon as it makes sense to do so, um, it seems like it's such a good primary goal for this commission and as people need to access services citywide, learning how they can access this is so e essential and primary that um, first of all, I, I'm very happy to see this goal. I'm very happy you were highlighting it. I'm, very glad about all the things that we've been funding and helping with this year that I've seen about new technology and web-based programming and such, um, that that I just see this as very, very key. So I just yeah. want to kind of underline it and highlight it and say, please um, let us know as this uh, becomes available or how people could start to access it. And if we could get to a point where <coughs> citywide, everyone who is uh, able to qualify for programs would just receive 
information about it, you know, or how they could get information about it. Um, I think it would, it, there's so much going on at this agency, but whether or not we let people know about it, um, it you know, we should just keep working on that goal and with the technology and a uh, new organization you've done and the new manager, all that, that's such, it's good, good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and just to, to really, uh, I'd really like to see that uh, as it rolls out, keep us aware of it as a company. Right. So, right, and so Kate, our new um, program director, will be definitely spearheading that effort. It also includes, though, our planning team and our, um, certainly our leadership team at DOS as well as our, our communications team. And so, um, it, you know, it's, it's interesting. We have a really good opportunity here because we are putting things in place that we haven't had in place before. One of them is rebranding the agency because not only does the word about DOS not get out into the community, people... Um, are always asking me what it is we do and what it, what does it mean, you know? Um, but that happens with the other departments within HSA as well. And so, we're the rebranding is very exciting and it'll fit very well within kind of thinking about our outreach strategy. Also, the reframing aging um, campaign that we're about to launch really fits in well with this. And I think, you know, we have the opportunity to seize that moment and really get the word out about the services that we have and that and the 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 really, you know, key life-changing services that we offer to San Franciscans. And I think, you know, this is just, it, it should come together really nicely. So, it, so, yeah, so what we will do is think about how to put together a presentation for the commission that really kind of pulls all those things together into one, you know, kind of nice package. And we'll definitely be having, you know, more collateral materials and things like that to get out as well. So stay tuned for that. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Liu. Well, it's very challenging, all these goals, okay? And I'm just wondering, like, maybe after six months, you will come back and report to us how far you have reached some of the goals? That's a great idea. Is six months um, about the right, does that sound about right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So we will schedule that f maybe for January. Thank you. Thank you. And the, and the report would be helpful if it included measurement criteria so that um, sure. so we would know and you would know. I think that'd be great. Sounds good. Any other comments or questions? Thank you both very much. That was very comprehensive. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> the next item is item A, and I remind the commission that the presentation will be... Excuse me? Oh, I'm sorry. Was there any additional comments from the public? Okay. Oh, yes. Jessica. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, commissioners. A um, couple of comments on, on the um, excellent report on the action plan. Um, one is I just want to share again how excited that I am and so many of us are about the Disability Community Cultural Center and thank you to Executive Director McSpadden um, and others for, for spearheading this. Um, I think it's, it's gonna mean a lot to the disability community and really push us all in the right direction. Um, on the, the conversation about conservatorship, I just wanna remind us all that while the, the conservatorship programs are moving forward, there's also a need for all of us to continue to push for voluntary services that, that we know um, from talking to people on the streets that there are a lot of people that are willing and able to accept services, but the services just don't exist. Um, and especially looking at 
the connection with homelessness, that if somebody is is trying to get help for a mental health condition or for substance use, but they are not given housing, it's nearly impossible to maintain that. So I, I hope you all will, will join that, um, that effort to continue to push for that. And then lastly, um, on the, the conversation about long-term care, I wanted to make sure you all knew that there is a town hall on long-term services and supports coming up on Thursday, September 19th. Um, it's the day before the September 20th um, Dignity Fund Forum. So just hopefully you can plan on those back to back. So again, it's September 19th from 10 to 12, and it's at the main library in the Corette Auditorium. And there will be a panel of the three um, state Bay Area legislators who will be talking about, um, talking about these issues and how we can have a <coughs> statewide long-term care insurance program. Um, and it's, it's put on by several organizations that represent seniors, people with disabilities, families, and workers. So I hope you can be there. Thank you. Thank you, Jessica. Any other comments or questions from the public? Okay, moving on to item A. I'll remind the commission that the presentation for item A from Tiffany Kearney um, will be for informational purposes only. And it is requesting <coughs> authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with Curry Senior Center for the provision of technology and connection at home program during the period of January 1st, 2018 through June 30th, 2020 for an additional amount of $45,000 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $811,742. Thank you, Tiffany. Thank you. Good morning, commissioners and executive director McSpadden. So the original grant with Curry uh, Senior Center was first presented to the commission in January of uh, 2018. Curry's technology and connection at home program utilizes technology coupled with weekly classes, health coaching, and technical support to encourage social engagement and has a particular focus on engaging older adults and adults with disabilities who are either so socially isolated or at heightened risk of isolation. The program provides consumers with technology devices on loan for the enrollment term of one year. The devices include an iPad tablet, Fitbit, and digital scale. Internet service is also provided if a consumer does not have um, in-home internet access. The program entails a 48-week curriculum covering a variety of applications and functions on the devices and the internet, and weekly classes are currently being offered in Cantonese, Russian, and English. Consumers who complete the program have the opportunity to participate in monthly classes or monthly maintenance classes up to an additional year. The maintenance class helps uh, consumers keep up their skills and supports ongoing socialization. Curry consumers, um, or Curry also helps consumers who complete the program acquire their own devices through non-DOS revenue sources. The program has been very successful since it began. Program participants are reporting a decrease in loneliness, an increase in self-sufficiency with using technology, an increase in self-efficacy in managing their health, and an increase in daily walking. With new programming, however, sometimes adjustments and modifications are needed. And in this particular case, a stronger maintenance program is needed to meet consumer demand. 
In the original grant, it was anticipated that 30% of the graduating participants would want to enroll in the maintenance program. The actual percent which much high, was much higher, 83% of the consumers who completed the program in fiscal year 18-19 enrolled in the maintenance program. This demand speaks to the need and great service that Curry is providing. More consumers will be eligible for the maintenance program this year and their enrollment rate to the maintenance program will likely be similar. The additional funding will enable Curry Senior Center to offer maintenance classes two times per month as well as more um, hours of technical support. The department is anticipating um, continued success and is looking forward to the ongoing development of the program and working with Curry Senior Center. Um, thank you, and I'd be happy to answer any questions the commission may have at this time. Thank you, Commissioner Orsolona. I, I keep thinking that maintenance means maintaining the equipment, but it's, it's obviously something else. Can you tell me what it is? Sure. It's, um, it's a maintenance program is, um, so they're um, able to come to class. It's like a, a class that sort of they brush up on their skills, and it's going to be offered two times a month um, for that purpose. Yeah. And can you tell me, are these always people who happen to access the Curry Center to begin with, and that's how they got recruited into the program. And I'm just curious as to whether or not it's more broad-based than that. Does anyone ever get yeah, so funded for it, and but they go to Curry for the class? Yeah, I mean, there, there definitely is in-reach sort of recruitment, but also when the grant was originally presented, there, um, there was outreach in, um, there was because of where um, seniors are, um, sort of higher risk of isolation. There were specific districts. I think those were District 6, which is where Curry is. I think also District um, 3 and one more district. Let me think of who, what district that was. Um, Uh, District 3, the Civic Center neighborhood, uh, South of Market, District 6, oh, and also Western Edition neighborhood mm -hmm. as well. So there is, that's where a lot of outreach, outreach was done in the beginning. Okay, and then, but they go to Curry for the classes, is that kind of how it works? Um, Curry and also St. Francis Living Room, and um, there's one more location. Maybe I just didn't read it closely um, enough, I'm sorry. San Francisco Senior Center. Okay, no, just yeah. so I have a better picture of it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. great, thank you. <clears throat> Any other comments or questions? Tiffany, I have one. Um, you mentioned that the equipment would be lent to the seniors for one year. Apple and other companies buy back a lot of older models of their iPads or cell phones um, that are not in demand but are perfectly usable. And you mentioned that Curry helps people get equipment. How does that work? Have they been working with companies like Apple or other companies that buy this used equipment that is not state-of-the-art, but is perfectly serviceable, like my cell phone, <laughs> um, <laughs> so that the seniors can have something? Yeah, I, I, I might invite um, Angela up here to talk about their reper how they're doing um, sort of the getting new equipment in. But I do know that they are working um, you know, to get consumers that, but in terms of who they're working with specifically, I can't speak to, but Thank you. I'm sure Angela can. Hi, 
Good morning, commissioners. My name is Angela DiMartino. I'm the program manager for the Technology at Home program at Curry Senior Center. Um, in response to your question, we are working with some of our corporate partners, specifically Twitter. They've repurposed for us some iPad minis, so a different type of model, but one that still has a similar operating system. So um, we've also um, sought out corporate funding and other foundation funding for the maintenance program. <coughs> so we're using those fundraising sources to provide purchasing of refurbished Apple devices, um, but um, as well as the newer model of Fitbit for the maintenance program for the people that graduate from that. Great. Thank you very much. Sure. Any other comments or questions, Commission? Any comments or questions from the public? Then we will be voting on this contract next month. Thank you. Item B, requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with Leah's Pantry for the provision of citywide nutrition education and counseling services program during the period of September 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2020 in the amount of $48,858 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $347,186 Welcome, Lauren Muckley, to present. Thank you. Good morning, Commissioners and Executive Director McSpadden. My name is Lauren Muckley, and I'm a nutritionist with DOS. We're seeking your approval to modify this grant with Leah's Pantry for the provision of citywide nutrition education and counseling services. The citywide nutrition services grant began in fiscal year 1718. Leah's Pantry collaborates with DOS-funded congregate and home-delivered meal contractors to provide nutrition education workshops and one-on-one -on -one nutrition counseling to older adults and adults with disabilities screened at high nutritional risk. Consumers are referred by meal contractors and identified in the California Get Care system through a citywide nutrition referral dashboard. This year, Leah's Pantry will be serving additional DOS-funded meal contractors. Therefore, this modification increases the number of nutrition counseling hours and workshops that Leah's Pantry will provide in order to reach the increase in consumers being referred. In a nutrition counseling session, clients can make nutrition-related goals based on the advice and guidance from the registered dietitian and have the option to meet with the RD once or on an ongoing basis. The nutrition education workshops consist of four classes once a week. Feedback from the workshops last year was very positive, with over 90% of respondents reporting an increase in nutrition-related knowledge and healthy behavior changes. I do want to make a note um, for the modification amount that is on the agenda. The number that is on the agenda is actually about $300 over the amount, so the correct is $48,585. And on the budget, the budget summary, uh, the revision column, those numbers are all correct. However, in the modification column, the indirect uh, expense is missing. So we will make sure that those two are fixed. And I'm happy to answer any questions that you have at this time. Thank you very much, Lauren. Commissioner Liu? Yeah, could you tell me the budget page, the last page? Is where the Nutrition Council operating expense detail. Yes. Could you tell me uh, line 31, translation and interpretation, uh, year two is $70, and then the modification is $5,000. How come uh, it jumped so much, have increased so much? 
Yeah, so Leah's Pantry uses a language line to do their nutrition counseling services if needed. Um, the, the, it was on the congregate budget, and they moved it over for this modification onto the home-delivered meal budget. So it was there before, they just moved it to the home-delivered meal budget. Okay. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Yeah, if I could. Um, in terms of how people access this program, you mentioned the citywide nutrition referral dashboard. How, how does someone find the dashboard, I guess, is a simple yeah. question. Yeah. How does so, that work? Yeah. So the way that it works is uh, the nutrition meal providers perform the uh, nutrition risk assessments on the consumers, and that um, should be done once a year. Mm -hmm. And if the consumer is screened at high nutritional risk, the provider asks if they are interested in the dietitian or um, in the nutrition counseling or the nutrition education workshops. And if they are, then the provider refers them to that service. So Leah's pantry is the one that looks on that um, referral dashboard to see all of them in order to contact the clients. But mo but mo for the most part, or all all of the part, it, these are people who are involved in the congregate meal programs that would be. That's how they would become aware of these people or how people would access. Yes, so they uh, need to be enrolled in either the congregate or home delivery program. Or home program. delivery, right. But yeah. it's that universe of people. Okay, thank yes. you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Any other comments or questions from the commission? Any other comments or questions from the public? Okay, then we will vote on this next month. Thank you. As we announced earlier, we will not be reviewing item C today that will be deferred until next month and we will um, moving to item d requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with community living campaign for the provision of a community service program pilot during the period of september 1st 2019 through june 30th 2020 in an additional amount of four hundred and six thousand nine hundred and forty five dollars plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $1,223,998. Welcome back, Tiffany. Thank you. Good morning again, Commissioners, Executive Director McSpadden. The budget modification for Community Living Campaign's Community Service Program Pilot will enable them to, um, one, increase the number of community connector programs, and two, continue their um, work in collaboration with the department to launch a public awareness campaign this year focused on ageism and ableism. The budget modification adds funding received through this year's ADVAC process to pilot two more community connector programs and sustain connector programming that was started last year through the ADVAC process. Connector programs support our clients by coordinating a range of local activities in their neighborhoods, from exercise classes and walking groups to potlucks and volunteer projects. Connector programs aim to foster a sense of community and belonging for these clients. Community Living Campaign is a champion of connector programs and is successful at launching new sites. Last year, between the six connector programs, 
three of which were started last year, Community Living Campaign reached 262 consumers and provided 758 hours of service, meeting their service unit goals for the grant. The results of their um, annual consumer satisfaction survey last year also demonstrates great success. At least 96% of the consumers surveyed reported that they learned about new services by participating in the program. They attributed a strong sense of community, an increase in physical activity, and an improvement in their quality of life um, to program participation. With um, this modification, CLC will have a total of eight neighborhood connector programs. One um, of the new connector programs will be um, located in the Crocker Amazon uh, neighborhood. And the second location is in the outer sunset, starting with an exercise program in the Parkside neighborhood. The addbacks for connector programming also align with the key priorities in the Dignity Fund Services and Allocation Plan, which in included, um, includes improved geographic access to services, as well as inclusion and programming that engages older adults and adults with disability that are not currently accessing services. And now to go on to the second aspect of the modification of the budget, um, this second um, part um, will allow for the continued work on the launch of the public awareness campaign this year focused on ageism and ableism in the city. Last year, CLC, in partnership with community stakeholders, DOS, and the department's communication team worked with an experienced consultant to um, plan and strategize and set the foundation for a successful launch of the Reframing Aging Campaign. The consultant uh, convened and facilitated work groups to develop campaign goals, uh, framing strategies, and outreach methods. And now it's time to move forward to the next phase, which requires expertise from creative agencies and funding to make media buys, such as advertising on muni buses, street lamp banners, billboards, essentially advertising at and in places that have been identified as um, effective means to reach the public. The department is um, very excited to launch the campaign and um, to continue to support the goal of the Dignity Fund, which is to make San Francisco an aging and disability friendly city. So thank you very much, and I'm happy to try to answer any questions you may have at this time. Thank you, Tiffany. Commissioner Liu? Yeah, uh, I'm looking at page four of the appendix, A4, mm -hmm. and item number six. Grantees shall ensure adequate and culturally competent staffing. I'm just wondering what kind of uh, languages, style pattern, and volunteers that they have? Um, so this would be at the community connector. Are you talking about the connector mm -hmm. sites? I mm -hmm. think it would be dependent on the neighborhoods. And maybe I'll check in with Marie and Kate in terms of the, or, OK. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, we have various You might probably do this one. Oh, is that one? Uh, thank you. Okay. I think this one. Thank you. My name is Patty Spaniak with the Community Living Campaign. 
I also represent District 11 with uh, the Department of Aging Advisory Council. Uh, we have programs that try to address different communities in our neighborhood. For example, uh, our, our literature and our flyers are printed in different languages. Uh, we have Tai Chi that appeals to some of our- What kind of languages do you have? Uh, Chinese and Spanish at this time. But when we partner with other organizations, for example, connector programs are connecting people to other programs. So when we have a safety program, for example, um, the safety partner, whether it's the department, the fire department, they offer all their flyers in multiple languages. Okay. And just to save paper a lot, we just choose the languages that we know that our community will respond to. We also have a person on staff that can translate all of our flyers as needed. Do you have volunteers that speak different kind of languages? Yes. In every one of our neighborhoods, there's usually somebody that we can find to help us communicate with our non-English speaking neighbors. So the language would be, of course, English, Chinese, and the Spanish, and Russian? Well, in the communities that we presently are, those languages are the predominant languages. And we try always to respond to the needs. We have a big network of uh, resources for people to help us. But usually it is the neighbor helping the neighbor. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, any other questions or comments? Any comments or questions from the public? Morning. I, I, just, I want to introduce Carmelita Lozano and Mel Noriega from our neighborhood. Uh, I could fill this room with happy uh, connector people, but we wanted to just share uh, Carmelita's uh, insight into what the program has meant to her for the last five years, and also thank you for the funding we received from Cayuga. Thank you. I'm Carmelita Lozano. I am a retired RN. And since I retired 1990, this uh, organization of connection, the neighborhood, has changed my life. I, you know, retiring is a two ways for me. You either sit down and enjoy your retirement or continue to be active without the responsibility. It is a good opening for me. And because it, I met, I, when I was working, I never had a chance to work out with my neighbors. Now, when I retired, they opened the exercise three times a week. They have yoga. They have lectures on making salad or painting, a lot of activity. My retirement is not wasted. It is full of activity, five days a week, and it keeps me going. I'm almost 95, and I'm still going. And I hope that everybody, I, I became a sort of an inspiration to some people. They say, oh, I wish I could be like you when I reach 90. I'm going on 95 in a couple of months. And this program keeps me going. And I hope everybody feels the same. Thank you for your whatever you can give. We appreciate it. 
We have to keep on going. We have to die with a smile on our face, <laughs> not gloomy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Any other comments or questions? Oops. Okay. Um, again, allow me. And just for the record, I'd like to show that the sites for these community connector programs are in church basements. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Again, we will be voting on this contract next month. Um, as was announced earlier, we will not be having um, item seven today or item eight. So now we are ready for general public comment. Welcome, Valerie Vieira. Good morning or almost afternoon. Um, I first just want to welcome the new commissioners. I haven't had the honor and privilege to work with all of you. Um, but I'm here to talk about some uh, changes. Uh, Onlock uh, has some, we're having a leadership a structure change that I wanted to uh, be able to tell you um, and also to introduce to you um, the executive director of the Onlock Day Services Programs. Um, but before I do that, I wanted to mention that I have been um, at 30th Street Life uh, in some form or capacity for 38 years. And um, I am going to be moving to a new position uh, in the Onlock organization to help our organization launch uh, new programs for older adults. So my new title will be uh, Director of Well Program Development. And so officially on October 1st, I will not be the director at the 30th Street Senior Center any longer. So I wanted to make sure that I, I got to you um, to mention that directly and to also um, excite you and get you uh, acquainted with my colleague, um, John Blazik, who will be taking the reins in the new leadership structure as the executive director of the Onlock Day Services Corporation, which has been the corporation that has been over 30th Street since Onlock took um, the reins in 1995. So I wanna introduce John, let him say a couple of words about himself, and then I have one final announcement that I wanna make sure I get on your radar. Thank you, and congratulations, Valerie. Uh, thank you, uh, my name is John Blazik, and I'm uh, excited to introduce myself Unlock is going through a restructuring, and we're trying to find ways to uh, expand and support our services even more fully and to build upon the amazing work that uh, Valerie's committed her lifetime to. So as executive director, uh, I'll have a director of 30th Street uh, reporting to me, and then also we are engaging with Open House and having a uh, senior day program there as well. So the whole idea of the executive director role is to continue expanding our abilities to reach out and to support seniors in our community. So I'm excited to get to know all of you better. I also have another hat. I'm the director of, of uh, chief development officer at Unlock in general. And uh, so hopefully if bringing these skills together, we'll be able to uh, find funding and support in many different ways uh, as we do this work. So thank you. Thank you. And so we're going to go uh, uh, celebrate. Uh, 30th Street has hit the milestone of 40 years. And so on uh, September, Friday, September the 27th, we will be celebrating uh, 30th Street's 40 years of community services 
um, throughout uh, the, the world, not the world, the San Francisco. Um, our world. Our world. And, um, you know, it's, it's a really exciting time uh, for Unlock and for 30th Street to really highlight what we've done, but also to be getting ready for what we will do. So, uh, again, um, we'll send invitations to if you haven't received them already, but it'd be great to have people join us. And that, that will be my last sort of uh, senior center director um, event. So, love to have you. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Good, after good morning. Um, Marie Jobling, I'm here as the co-chair of the Dignity Fund Coalition and a member of the Long-Term Care Council. Um, since this wasn't brought up earlier, I just wanted to say a little bit more about the Master Plan on Aging Forum, which is um, being sponsored jointly by the Dignity Fund Coalition and the Long-Term Care Council, with support from the Meta Fund, the SCAN Foundation, and a whole lot of the members of those um, groups that I mentioned. Um, the event is set for September 20th from 1.30 to 3.30 at the Hyatt Regency on the Embargadero um, with a resource table um, happening uh, before that event from 12 to 1.30. Um, I also um, wanted to tell you there will be an illustrious group of elected officials and community leaders who will be part of the presentation that day. Um, and it will be translated uh, simultaneously in Cantonese, Spanish, and American Sign Language. Um, and then it will also be live streamed uh, in, in real time, and that live stream, uh, stream uh, version will be posted online with captions shortly after the event. Um, so if you wanted more information about that um, event, it's uh, posted on the Dignity Fund Coalition site, which is uh, www.sfdignityfund.org. And, and secondly, now I want to also speak as the director of the Community Living Campaign um, to invite you to our annual award event, which is scheduled for um, September 26th at the Marines Memorial in the evening. Um, this year we're honoring Michael Blecker, who's the longtime executive director of Swords to Plowshares. Um, and more information about this event is on our website, which is sfcommunityliving.org. Thank you very much. Thank you. Any other public comment? Any other announcements? Hearing none? We can't have a motion to adjourn? Oh, oh please, please come forward. Can, uh, can you state name your is, name? Uh, my name is Keith Moore, and uh, I am a uh, local uh, real estate investor uh, here in San Francisco. Uh, I've been in San Francisco 37 years, and um, I'm here because uh, I uh, currently am in possession of a lot on the corner of Turk and Jones. Uh, this lot currently is, uh, I, I assume, is being leased by the city to a, um, uh, a parking lot uh, company called California Parking. And um, uh, there is a, a movement on, on this lot as far as uh, potential building for for safe or organized spaces, which would uh, help the homeless in in, in event of a uh, catastrophic event in, in, in their life. If, if someone was 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 to be ripped out of their home and they were going in through post traumatic shock and and having problems dealing with and coping with with, with the situation of, of of newly becoming homeless, and uh, um, this particular uh, space would be utilized to to house those people. Now. Um, there's a, a philanthropist, her name is Amy, uh, 
and she is there right now. And uh, may I uh, approach to give the word? Now, um, you know, as you can see from the, from the diagram of of, uh, of the uh, spacing on the um, uh, diagram there, that the spaces you know are very well organized. There's a triaging area. Um, there would be reporting um, if the if the board would like reporting on, on who's uh, utilizing the services there. Um, it, it would be available to the board if you guys request it. So um, uh, we'd be more than happy to, to get that, that uh, data to you. Um, if, um, if the board um, would, would consider um, uh, a, fi a finalization of uh, the acquisition of, of, of the lot to be used for that purpose, we would be much appreciated. But we, we also know that, that the homeless problem uh, in San Francisco you know, is, is a huge problem, but, but uh, a triaging um, place would, would, would be great for the community. Thank you. Any other public comment? Well, we can't have a motion to adjourn, so I'll simply order that we're adjourned. <laughs> <laughs>